Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday morning, September 26th, 2017. As always, this is Mike Lyon coming to you live with the wicked awesome Boston Sports Podcast. I'm trying to shimmy out of my son's daycare here. My, my routine is dropping my son off in the morning and then driving down to work. So that the blinker you hear is me trying to get out of the lot. It's kind of crowded this morning, but here we go. Uh, Tuesdays, especially in the fall, are generally slow news days uh, in uh, the sports world, especially the professional sports world. Uh, and today is no exception, but we have a lot of Red Sox to talk about. Um, and I want to preface this. Well, first of all, let's get to the, the, the final. The Red Sox opened a homestand last night um, against the Toronto Blue Jays. They lost the game 6-4. to four. Uh, Drew Pomeranz took the loss. They tried. They, they got behind five to two early. They tried to come back, cut it to five to four. Unfortunately, Addison Reed surrendered a, a home run in the ninth inning. That was the final six to four. So uh, the Yankees won yesterday. They won a makeup game and, and blasted the hell out of the ball, eleven to three against the Royals. Uh, that's what they always do in Yankee Stadium. Yesterday was no exception. So no blood in the standings. The Yankees cut a game off the off the lead. It's now a four game lead in the division for the Red Sox. The magic number remains at three uh, with six games to go left in the season. Now, I want to preface with what I, I want to preface what I'm about to say with this, and that's that it is way, way too soon in the week anyway, to jump off a cliff, to overreact. At its core, all that happened yesterday was the Red Sox lost a game, the Yankees won a game. Absolutely no change in the American League East picture. Magic number still remains at three. The Red Sox are still an overwhelming favorite to win this division. So I, I want to preface what I'm about to say with that. I'm not jumping off a cliff. I don't want to overreact. I think, you know, part of the reason I started this podcast was because I think there is an enormous amount of overreaction in the national media on sports talk radio uh, to scenarios that present uh, difficult, you know, d difficult circumstances for teams, to losses, to individual, you know, 0 for fours or, or individual losses during the week. I think there's an enormous, an, an enormous amount of overreaction on that front. So, I preface what I'm about to say with that. But last night, unfortunately, and yesterday all day, really could not have gone worse for the Red Sox. And I hate to say that, again, given that they're going to be in the playoffs, they've already clinched that spot, they are a better than 90%, it's probably even more than that if you look at the odds, they're a better than 90% chance of winning the division, uh, and they're probably going to be in the playoffs, they're probably going to play Houston in the first round, uh, and, and have to cede home field advantage to Houston uh, in that series. I have no problem saying that, but... If you think about what happened in last night's game, I don't think the Red Sox could have asked for a worse scenario, a worse way to, for that to play out. Drew Pomeranz went two plus innings. He very clearly was ineffective. He got a little, he got bleated a little bit in the fourth, in the second. Uh, the second was where Toronto did the vast majority of their damage last night. They scored four runs on back to back two run doubles. And like I said, plated. Uh, played played four runs in that inning, and, and you know that they the Red Sox were in a hole in a hole at that point that they just couldn't climb out of. But he goes two plus innings, takes the loss, 
And as was pointed out by a number of, of commentators and broadcasters last night, it looked like he lost he had lost life on his fastball. He didn't have the same amount of stuff. And that naturally makes you wonder, is he tired? Is, is he hitting a wall just as the postseason begins? He wouldn't be the first pitcher to do something like that. It would not be the first instance of a pitcher hitting, like I said, the proverbial wall right before the postseason. But this was his second real year as a full-time starting pitcher, and it was his first year as a full-time starting pitcher in a baseball-crazed East Coast wild environment like Boston. So you have to wonder. The guys pitched well all season long for the Red Sox. Drew Pomerantz has had a really, really good year. We should not take anything away from that. But, again, you know, despite the fact that he's had a really, really good year, now's the time when you got to get your pitching staff in order, and now's the time when your best pitchers, you're counting on your best pitchers to, to do well. And Drew Pomeranz all season long has been the Red Sox' second best pitcher. And based on his track record this season, would be a pretty solid number two option if he were healthy and if the arm was okay. And, you know, again, one start, it's, it's, it's not proper, I guess. It's, it's, it's not the right thing to do to overreact to one start. Uh, you know, he could very well come back in his next start on Saturday, which now I really think he has to make because they have to see what they have in him. He could very well come back in his next start and throw the ball well, have good bite to his curveball. Uh, get ahead and count, spot the fastball, and be okay. Maybe this is just a blip. And, and he, you know, they interviewed him last night, and to Drew's credit, he took the blame. He said, no, I feel fine. I just didn't have it. You know, I didn't locate. I didn't put the team in a place to win. I felt fine. I'm not going to make excuses. I just, you know, I put the team in the hole, and, and, and they couldn't climb out of it. And, you know, look, every pitcher's entitled to one bad start. I mean, you, you don't go through an entire season without making a bad start. It just doesn't happen. Even Pedro... You know, in his in his glory days, 1999, 2000, 2001, even those seasons. I mean, it's it's incredible to think this, just because he just is, you know, because of how good he was those years. But even he had some bad starts. I mean, I can remember, not not to not to belabor the point, but I, I remember he he had one really really bad start that year. He he was just unbelievable. I think that was 2000, where he didn't make it out of like the second inning, and the Red Sox, you know, he gave up like eight runs. And the Red Sox actually came back and won the game for him. So, look, I only say that to say, look, every pitcher is entitled to a bad start. It's just very unfortunate that this bad start happened when it did. His second to last start of the season, right before they go into playoffs, presumably right before they clinch the division, uh, and he's slotted into a playoff spot as the number as the game two starter for the Red Sox. And... You know, the dip in velocity is concerning. It's not a major dip, but it's enough of a dip to make you wonder, is there something wrong with this guy? And I don't know. Like I said, let's not overreact after one start. Let's not go jump off a bridge. It's one game. Magic number's still very, very low at three. The Red Sox are going to clinch this division. If I had to guess, I, I pretty feel pretty confident saying they're going to win this division. I said from the beginning, I don't want him in a wild card game. You never know what's going to happen. You don't want to you don't want to waste Chris Sale in a wild card game, even if that starts at Fenway Park against the Twins. But you know, I want him to win the AL East, and they're going to have they're they're going to have plenty of chances to do that. They got six more games. All they got to do is win half of them, and they're going to do 
and by the way, they're going to play the last four against a Houston team that's probably not going to have a lot to play for. So let's not go jump off a bridge yet. But that's number one, and, and I'm only beginning, unfortunately, and I know I'm, I'm kind of belaboring this, but Pomeranz being ineffective and the dip in velocity is only the start. You also had two key players get hurt last night. Eduardo Nunez came out and gave it a go uh, for the first time in two weeks. He, he batted second. He actually got a double in his first at bat, looked fine. And then his second at bat came up, he planted his knee on a swing, and it immediately gave out on him. So it looks like a re-aggravation of the knee, uh, the knee injury that he suffered. Uh, who knows when he's going to play again. Farrell, after the game, said pretty much exactly that. We're not sure. So that's a blow. The other big blow is Mookie Betts, who got hurt last night. Mookie left the game in the eighth inning, uh, swinging at a pitch. And this time he hurt his left wrist. If you can remember a little while ago, he hurt his right wrist. Uh, said he was fine, came back, and everything did seem to be fine after that. So again... Maybe this is a little blip on the radar, too, but the Red Sox aren't the Red Sox without Mookie Betts. They're just not. They're, 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 they're a fairly good offensive team. They don't hit home runs all that well, but the biggest threat they have is Mookie Betts, the guy who's done everything for them all season, offensively, defensively, and on the bases is Mookie Betts. He's the guy that makes this team go, and he's the guy that they can least afford to lose. So you're, pop, you're probably playing Toronto tonight without Nunez. You're probably playing Toronto tonight without Betts. Fortunately, you have Chris Sale on the mound, so maybe you don't need either one of them. But uh, two injuries, again, underscores the fact of how bad last night went for the Red Sox. And if that weren't enough, Addison Reed gives up a home run in the ninth inning. Again, a little blip on the radar, not nearly as big of an issue as the other issues that I've already mentioned are not even close, but again, you don't want to see Addison Reed get into a groove of giving up runs and, and maybe himself being tired. Farrell has used him a lot down the stretch, and they're going to need him to clinch the division. They're certainly going to need him in the playoffs, so you don't want to see him go down that road. That being said, the overall work of the bullpen last night again was stellar. Only one run allowed in about seven innings of work front to back and they used I mean they used Blaine Boyer last night they used Carson Smith last night um, Boyer's probably not on the postseason roster but Smith's you know Smith Smith has a clean inning again a clean outing doesn't allow a run he's probably on the postseason roster um, so the Red Sox bullpen continues overall to be a strength like I said the fact that Reed gave up the run is not good it's a minor concern as as you know versus the other three and, oh, by the way, the Yankees won. So you can't do anything to the magic number, and the league goes, it shrinks down to four. But, look, again, it was a not a good night in Fenway Park last night. It wasn't a good loss. They got into a deep hole. They tried to climb out of it. Benintendi hit a home run. Nice to see. I mean, Betts, Betts made it to 100 RBIs last night before he was lifted, before you know he got, he got hurt. There were some good things to come out of it. Offense scored four runs, never quit. Put some pressure on, but you know there was certainly a lot more bad than good that happened yesterday. But again, let's not jump off a bridge. There's no need to do that. Let's see where these injuries are before we, you know, be, before we figure out what kind of team they're going to have. Let's see how bad Mookie's hurt before you really start freaking out about the team's postseason chances. 
you know, let's see Pomeranz make his next start on Saturday. Again, I think he's got to make it because you got to see what you have in the guy before you, you jump off a bridge with that. There's no reason to panic. It's just one loss. It's one day. You've got six more games at home, two against Toronto, and the guy you want, I mean, I'm telling you, you know, it, it, going out and getting Chris Sale was important for a lot of reasons, but one of them was this start right here. And I know the Reds, I mean, look, this is the first loss for the Red Sox in seven games. It's like, you know, you need Chris Sale to be the stopper of a one-game losing streak. I mean, that's very clearly an overreaction. But you want Chris Sale to pitch in a game like this where they seem to have a little bit of adversity now. They might be down Nunez and Betts tonight. You know, they're coming off a game where their confidence in their number two starter is shaken a little bit. They may get some other guys, some, you know, give some other guys a breather. But... You're really, really happy you've got Chris Sale starting this game tonight because he's a guy, obviously, that can dominate the other side and, and make your offense meaningless. Uh, if the offense wants to contribute like they've been contributing, all the more power to them. But even if the offense isn't hitting all that much, you've got a guy that can put zeros on the scoreboard all the way through, even against a good offense like the Blue Jays have. So it's nice to have Sale tonight. He gets the ball. He's the guy you want to have the ball. The Red Sox will face Jay Happ tonight, a left-hander for Toronto. Uh, hasn't really been all that bad this year. It's been a little up and down. The record's not good at 9-11, and 11, but the ERA is pretty good, about 360. And, like I said, a left-handed a left -handed pitcher. Lefties have given the Red Sox a little bit of issues this year. Uh, they have handled Happ before. I think they, they beat him on the last, the last series that they played Toronto in, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so they've handled him okay. But that game tonight at 7.05, uh, the Yankees will play at a similar time. They begin a two-game, or three-game, I'm sorry, three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays at Yankee Stadium tonight. Jordan Montgomery for the Yankees against Blake Snell for the Rays. Those games start about 7 o'clock, should be on TV. Check out Chris Sale tonight in what could be his last regular season start. Um... If they clinch the division, like I said, I see no way he pitches at least deep into the ballgame on Sunday. They need to start lining him up for game one of the ALDS. And if he pitches Sunday, he wouldn't be lined up for that. So this could be his last, well, let's say this, his last meaningful regular season start of the season tonight for the Red Sox. So magic number still at three tonight, 7.05 against the Jays, second game of the three-game series. Check it out. So let's switch gears and go to hockey for a second. And we're not going to spend a ton of time. Again, it's still the preseason. Uh, the regular season does start next week, though. So regular season hockey is creeping up on us. Uh, Bruins played a preseason game last night. They won the preseason game 4-2 over the Chicago Blackhawks, who did not bring all their guys to Boston for the game. A lot of the Bruins played last night, though. Uh, Pasternak played. Bergeron played and scored a goal. Marchand played. Uh, but two key developments coming out of the game last night. One is Malcolm Subban. And you haven't heard me say Malcolm Subban's name probably on this podcast. We haven't been doing it that long, and I don't think I've mentioned Malcolm Subban's name very much. But the Bruins, what I have mentioned before is Bruce Cassidy's desire to have his backup goalies play about 25 to 28 games this season. If you remember... Tuka Rask last season didn't play poorly, but played a lot. 
he started, I think, 65 or 66 games for the Bruins in net last year. And Bruce Cassidy at the beginning of training camp basically came out and said, that's too much. Uh, we need to get him more rest. We need to find a backup goaltender who can come in and play more than 15 starts or, you know, if, if he plays 17 starts, whatever it was last year. He wants a backup goaltender or goaltenders, however they decide to do it, to play between 25 and 30 starts this season. And Malcolm Subban was pretty good last night. This is a guy that, if you, if you don't know, he's the brother of, or, or somehow related, he might be his cousin, uh, of P.K. Subban, the former Bruins nemesis. He now plays in Nashville. He used to be a Canadian for an awfully long time. Uh, but he's related to P.K. He was drafted pretty highly by the Bruins a few years ago to play goal and had some up and down, ups and downs in Providence. Never really had the consistency over his first couple of years. He's still young, so you expect that out of a young guy. Uh, but he is a guy who the Bruins may be counting on to be that number two goaltender this season. And after, you know, Kudobin last year was a little, like, was inconsistent between the pipes. Uh, Malcolm Subban is a guy that they're looking at. I mean, I don't know if he's the future. Tuka's still fairly young and got a big contract. Still one of the premier goaltenders in the league. You're, you're going to stick with him for at least a little while. But to see Malcolm playing well is a good sign. It's 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 a good sign because he can give Tuca some backups some some backup starts this season and and fulfill Cassidy's promise to get him some rest. So good start for Malcolm Subban. That's development number one. Development number two is a guy who who you've heard me mention multiple times when talking about the Bruins, Anders Bjork, who looks almost certain to break camp with the Bruins this season, the parent club. Uh, just at, just out of college, but he, he had a goal last night. Uh, he also may have assisted on Bergeron's in the fourth period, but he had a goal in the first period. Continues to play extremely well in the preseason. Uh, Cassidy came out after the game and essentially said, "This kid's ready. He's got. He's he's ready to go now. He, he may be playing on a top two line. If you read some of the stories, he may be may even be playing on Bergeron's line with Marchand to start the year." Uh, you don't, you know, to start the year doesn't mean they're going to finish the year that way. They're, they're, they could obviously circle, you know, cycle through an awful lot of different line combinations. But to get that kind of praise in the preseason, and, and to get even, you know, to, to 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 come out of college and be ready to go on Patrice Bergeron's line with Brad Marchand, the two best players in the Boston lineup right now, is pretty high praise. That 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 they think he can skate with these guys. So. Watch Anders Bjork. This kid's going to be something. The Bruins think very, very highly of him. And he is really the guy who maybe who may have separated himself from this really nice-looking group of young, guy, young, young players that the Bruins have. He's the guy who separated himself early on in, the, you know, in preseason and, and, and early on in, in this season as a guy who the Bruins are going to count on for major minutes. So he continues to play well. That looks like your top line right now, Bjork, Bergeron, and Marchand. There was some talk after the game that Krejci and Pasternak are going to play together, potentially with Jake DeBrusque. So another young guy making a dent into a top line for the Bruins. So you don't need to go, you know, go too deeply into a preseason game. Good win for the Bruins. They got a few more left tonight. They're in Philadelphia. They're actually here. Uh, I'll check that one out and see if I can report anything uh, from what I see. Now I want to talk basketball for a second. 
and this isn't going to be directly related to the Celtics, but uh, if, if, if you've been listening, you know, we don't just cover Boston sports. That's obviously the focus here. But if something happens in, in the wide world of sports or, or in, in one of the leagues that may have an, an, an impact on, the Bru- on, on one of the teams, then we'll cover it. And what I want to talk about briefly, because it seemed like it got swept under the rug because of what, what, you know, what went down in the NFL and the president tweeting about it and, and all that this weekend, is the news that Carmelo Anthony was traded. If you didn't hear this, Carmelo Anthony was traded from the Knicks to the Oklahoma City Thunder for a package that was headlined by Ennis Cantor. Uh, so the Knicks finally seems like seems like they've been trying to trade this guy ever since they signed you know he signed that huge contract uh, to stay in New York. They finally do trade him. They send him to Oklahoma City, and that means Oklahoma City has completely reloaded after Kevin Durant left them a year ago. You know, last year Russell Westbrook was unbelievable basically single-handedly willed that team to the playoffs and almost to a playoff win uh, in a pretty heroic, they averaged a triple-double, pretty heroic season from, from, from Russell Westbrook. Well, he gets a lot more help this year. They already traded for Paul George. They got Paul George from Indiana. The Celtics were in the hunt for him for an awfully long time. There was a big rumor that he was coming right before the draft. There was also a big rumor that he was signed, sealed, and delivered to the Celtics at the deadline last year. That didn't happen. Um, But he's in Oklahoma City now, and now they put Carmelo Anthony on that team. Now, I haven't really expressed my opinion on Carmelo Anthony much on this show before, if ever. But those who, who do know me know that I don't think all that highly of him. I think the world of him as an offensive talent. Uh, he, the, the guy can make any shot on the court. He's incredibly talented. And there's no denying the fact that he's when, when he's on, he's one of the three or four most offensively gifted players in the NBA. He is an absolute defensive liability. Or at least he has been. Let's put it that way. At least he has been in the NBA. And I don't, you know, my, my opinion on Carmelo has always been and this is a kind of a tough take without knowing him person, you know, knowing him personally and knowing the defensive systems that they've run. But I've always felt that Carmelo could be a good defender if he wanted to be. And the reason I say that is because I, I see him in the Olympics, really just busting his ass. The past three Olympics, he has taken to the floor. He's been the leader of those Olympic teams. He's busted in on both sides of the court. It seems like of anybody on that USA Olympic team who has won three in a row, it seems like he's wanted it the most. And if you saw him interviewed after they just won their third gold medal last season in 2016, he was visibly emotional at, uh, at speaking and, and talking about how he won his, his third gold medal in a row for his country. So to me, here is a guy who can, if he wants to, busted on both sides of the court, but just has never had any desire to do it defensively. The Knicks have been an atrocious defensive team when he's been there. Atrocious. And <clears throat> and that, that even goes back to when they were semi-good. If, if you can remember a few years ago, uh, there when 
the, the Pierce Garnett Allen triumvirate was still in Boston. They, they had a couple playoff uh, playoff matchups against the Knicks, the, the, the Carmelo led Knicks. The first one, I mean, it was like the, the 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 Celtics swept them, and it was like they didn't even try. The Knicks just had no interest in playing defense against the Celtics in that series, Carmelo included. I mean, there was a play. The, the game four was close down the stretch. And I still remember this. Game four of that series was close down the stretch. The Celtics had a, a, a like a four-point lead in, in the closing minutes of that game. And they got easy shot after easy shot after easy shot down the stretch. And the Knicks just showed no interest in really guarding anybody, Carmelo included. And the Celtics put that game away. So that's always been my overriding opinion of him. Of, of Carmelo, that is. it's He's somebody that, if he wanted to be great defensively, could be. But just has no desire to be. Like, somebody like James Harden, who's not a good defender either. Although, did improve on it last year. Somebody like James Harden, I'm not sure could be as good of a defender as Carmelo. Just because he's not as long, he's not as, he's not as tall. You know, he's going to struggle against... If you put... You know, if, if James Harden worked his tail off... You know, he still wouldn't be able to guard somebody like LeBron James. I mean, and not many people can guard LeBron James. I realize that. But he still wouldn't be able to guard premier shooting. Clay Thompson, somebody like that. He, he can't guard premier guys. It's just not that strong. You know, there, there's a cap on, on, on James Harden's ability to defend. Carmelo, I think, he's big. He's strong. He's long. He can jump. I mean, he's athletic. If he wanted to be a good defender, he certainly could be. So that's always been my take on him. Now, you're going into a situation in Oklahoma City, if you're Carmelo, with, like I already said, Westbrook and and George, two guys that can and do defend, and a coach in Billy Donovan who's going to preach defense. So... If anybody can get him to come out and play defense, it's probably the Oklahoma City Thunder, who, by the way, would love, love to knock off the Golden State Warriors this season. Imagine that matchup in the conference final: Oklahoma State and, and you know Oklahoma City and Golden State. The Warriors came back from a three-one deficit against them a couple of years ago when Durant was still on the team, and then of course Durant bolted for Golden State and they won the championship the next year. You think Russell Westbrook wouldn't love another shot at at Kevin Durant and the Warriors, this time with Paul George and Carmelo Anthony in tow? Boy, that would be a lot of fun. Now, how does this kind of work its way back to the Celtics? Well, you could say, one, now the Celtics don't have to deal with Carmelo Anthony anymore, and that's definitely true, and and he's had some good games against him as a member of the Knicks. The Knicks are now Kristaps Porzingis and I don't even know what else. So they're not a threat this year. They won't be a threat probably any time in the near future anyway, even though Porzingis is really good. But the second thing it does is it solidifies the West as the far superior conference, far superior conference than the East. Not that it already was not, but now you take it, you take one of the East's best players and you put them in the West, and now all of a sudden the West looks even more formidable because Oklahoma City looks like a top five team now, if not a top four team or three team. So again, this, this this opens the door even wider for the Celtics in the East. They should, and I emphasize should, run away with that division and hide. I don't think Toronto 
I mean, Toronto was the second best team in the division, but again, they didn't win it last year when the Celtics were led by Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley. They have a brand new look this year and potentially a more talented one. The Celtics really should win this division going away. I mean, I, 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 I hate to put pressure on them, but uh, the Raptors are good. Kyle Lowry and, and, and DeMar DeRozan are a very good backcourt, but the Celtics are just a better team than the Raptors. They were last year. They're even more so this year. They should win that division in high. You know, it's going to come down to them and the Cavs again. Are they going to beat the Cavs? Again, I'm, I'm not saying they're a favorite in any way, shape, or form to do that. Uh, you'll have to see what the Cavs are this year. If, if you know, I, I hope like hell Isaiah Thomas is healthy because, like I said before, it stunk, it stunk to lose him when we did, and, and, and you wish the best for this guy um, going forward. But... You know, having Carmelo out of the division certainly helps the Celtics. Putting him in the West certainly emboldens the West and weakens the East. And it opens the door even wider for the Celtics to make a potential challenge there. And If, if, if they can get by the Cavs, and again, I'm not saying they're going to do that. I don't think they are a favorite to do that as long as Cleveland has LeBron James. You know, they, they have, uh, they, they, they've got a potential to the final. I don't think they're going to win the finals. But they've got an avenue there. They've got an avenue there. And, and not having to deal with Carmelo Anthony makes the Celtics run all that easier in their division. So it's a big piece of news. It got kind of swept under the rug, like I said, this weekend. Carmelo finally finally leaving the Knicks. Uh, but I wanted to point that out and make sure everybody listened to it. Again, it's Tuesday. It's kind of a slow news day anyway. Might as well put a cap on it and do all four sports teams in one show. Uh, just to br- very briefly note... No real big news coming out of Patriots camp yesterday. Uh, they stayed relatively injury-free um, on on Sunday, so that's a big sign. Uh, Brady and Belichick's press conferences and, and interviews, not really all that eventful in terms of, like I said, on-the-field news. Not that they really ever are, but not a ton coming out of Patriots camp. They get today off. We'll, we'll, we'll probably get to see some breakdowns of, of some big plays in the game. Um either today or tomorrow, and we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll report on those and see if any we, we, we can clean anything from that. But nothing big coming out of Patriots camp. Game on Sunday against Carolina. We will certainly break it down more as the week goes on. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show for today. <clears throat> My thanks to all the listeners and everybody out there uh, giving us some attention. And by the way, if, if you're not listening, if, if you're hearing this, uh, the podcast is being recorded through Anchor, and can certainly you can certainly listen to my stations and my episodes in Anchor. It's also available wherever you get your podcasts. So if you prefer, you can certainly subscribe, and I would I, I definitely encourage you to do that in iTunes, Overcast, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Google Play, I think it's in um, as well. Uh, so you can certainly listen to this show any time of the day. Download it to your phone or stream it online. Uh, and listen to it as a podcast. We usually put the podcast up pretty quickly, within an hour or so, within an hour, two hours, depending on what's going on that day, uh, of recording the show. So it's usually available in iTunes, uh, at least, during the morning of whenever I record it. So listen in Anchor. You're certainly, I'm, I'm always happy to get listeners in Anchor, but just know that you can also listen to it in podcast form because we will publish this stuff, and we will put it on iTunes very quickly after... Uh, after it is uh, after it is recorded so thanks to all my listeners wherever you are and whatever method you are using to listen to this podcast 
Uh, tomorrow, we will go into the Red Sox big game tonight. Chris Sale on the mound. We'll obviously dissect that and see where we are injury-wise uh, with uh, Mookie, New Mookie, Eduardo Nunez, and anything else that happens. We will talk about the Bruins again. Again, they're playing here in Philadelphia tonight. So I should be able to do a little bit more reporting on that game. It'll be my first chance to see them live. And anything else that obviously comes up, any big Patriots breakdowns or news that come up, we'll talk about them. Until then, make it a great day. If you're in the Northeast, I hope you're staying cool again. It's going to be a warm one, but we're going to get back into fall, into, into fall weather this weekend. For now, this is Mike Lyon. Have a great Tuesday, everybody, and we'll see you tomorrow.